0: Okay, we are live. Hello, Dr. Malika Clary. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on your show.
0: Well, I'm excited to have you on my show. So we talked a little bit off before I hit record here, and, and uh, um, an agency contacted me about you and also with Tiffany Rothman, who's the last person I spoke to. And I, and I just, I'm so fascinated by this because Uh, this podcast is all about human stories. And Mm -hmm. what's so interesting is I find out so many interesting things about people. Uh, The last one, it was so interesting to hear her mindset and just um, her go, uh, her go getter attitude. And with you, I read your bio, I read your stuff and I'm like, Oh man, we have so much we have. We're so different, but we have so much in common that this is going to be a very, interesting conversation. So I'm really excited about it. Thank so, you. Yeah. So um, you are a doctor in psychology. Is that right?
1: Yes. A clinical psychologist.
0: Okay. And in, in psychology, um, is there a specific, um, I don't I don't know what I would say, like a, 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 is there some sort of specific area of psychology that you tend to focus on when you do your clinical work?
1: Um, well, I like all I mean, if you have anxiety or depression, I like Mm -hmm. to help you with that, with psychotherapy. But I really do focus on relationships as well and family therapy. And those is the reason because I had a failed marriage. And, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, if I could try to explain some things, what you don't do, what you should not do in a relationship, um, maybe I can help put back a marriage or before you even get married and kind of think about it before mm-hmm. you even go down that route, road. So I really do want to like put relationships back. I, I do focus on relationships.
0: Do you tend to focus your, your work with relationships on an individual or couples, or do you do both?
1: I do both. It oh. could be family. It could be couples. It could be just a one person because sometimes you only have one person that really wants to go. Yeah. And then if they see that person going to get therapy, then they may come along. But you want to get to know your client first and then you can bring the couples in together. And sometimes it has to be separate. And it's just like that.
0: So let me ask you a question on that, because I had a I have a another psychologist or well, he's I he, I would call him a marriage and family therapist, I think. Um who uh, deals specifically with personality disorders and kind of focuses on narcissism, and he does couples therapy. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting is when you learn about narcissism, mm-hmm. you learn there's like there's the narcissist and then there's a term of reactive abuse. and I and I had a really interesting conversation with him where I was like, when a couple comes in, how do you figure out? Who if 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 there's one person who's the problem, how do you figure that out when you meet them? I mean, does it take time? Do you do you as a clinical psychologist, when you're when you're talking to a couple, do you ever kind of like, okay, I can tell this guy is the issue, or oh, <laughs> he's the issue, or is it more of they're both the issue? What do you think?
1: Sometime it's different. I mean, when you're talking to an individual, like I said, there might be a time that you would talk to the person who wants to pursue the therapy first. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you will bring the other person in or you talk to them separate before you bring them together, because mm-hmm. there's always two sides to the story. But I really like go into further, get to the background, because mm-hmm. sometimes what you don't understand is that it may not be the person. It may be because their upbringing and that's the way they live their life. That was the way they was brought up. So they might not see it's a, a, a difference. It mm-hmm. might just be a normality in their home. In their household, so if they react a certain way, it's not always a control mechanism or they're being arrogant or something. It could be because this is the way this person was raised. So, if their father did it and the father before that, it's a manipulate. Like, it's almost like you're just, you know, it's circular. You know, yeah. you're repeating a cycle. So it's it's really not about okay, you're you're wrong. It's where do you get the wrong from? Because if it's almost another example is that if you was raised and you're you know young and and raised to have wine at dinner, but you're a kid, but maybe that's the way they was raised, and and there's a culture. So when you say, Okay, my 10-year-old can't have wine, but in maybe where they're from or somewhere else, it was okay. So you can't really say that. They're wrong for it. It's the way they was brought up. Now, of course, you can't give a 12 year old alcohol in the States here, United States, but in other countries, you may be able to do so. So Mm -hmm. you really can't, you have to really get down on more than just the surface and get to know somebody. And I really don't call somebody a narcissist individual. I really don't label them until I actually really get all the facts and the facts is actually getting to know somebody and it's not going to be when I first meet you yeah that's not gonna happen at least six sections sections before you even get to know somebody you gotta at least have about six sessions
0: wow okay that's interesting um yeah do you see a lot of um couples that come from different cultures yes and uh um do you find that uh and the, the context i'm thinking of is mixed race couples or couples that you know uh, you have somebody who came from a foreign country do you find that those couples tend to have a a more difficult time understanding each other at times well
1: it depends i mean Like I said, you have to get to know that person's background. And if you're not willing to be open-minded about who you're dating and who you married, it's going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. And if you are starting today or you're thinking about marriage, then you need to understand how their intake on, let's say, for example, if you want a big wedding Mm -hmm. and the person's like, no, we don't really do that. We don't do weddings. We just go get married and there's not a wedding. But if this person Americanized, they may say, well, we like to bring all the family together. Well, the family will be together, but we we don't need to have a big wedding. We could just do it at the house and see, and it's already a conflict because you really don't understand that that person may say, well, this is how we were raised is we bring everybody together, have a big wedding. And this person's like, well, no, we don't do it that way, but what's a marriage It's still called a marriage. And that's where the disconnect is. You got to understand who you're dealing with. So it's mainly, do they know each other to even be going to get into a relationship? So it's mainly just asking, did you ever, when you dated, did you ask these questions? Did you ask it before you, um, about children? Did you talk about, about children, having children? Did you have that conversation? So mainly what I'm asking questions, is like something that you would ask during dating but some people do not ask a lot of questions. So it's mainly communication is the bracket. It, it's, it's like the stepping stone is communication. And it doesn't matter even if you're from a different culture or you're you know a mixed race going into a, a relationship, communication is at the end of the day. It's asking the questions and making sure who you're dating, you're about to marry did you ask what they want what their views are and people don't do that that's Mm. the the issue here they Mm. don't they want to be married and want to have a relationship want to find love but you're not asking the necessary questions so your marriage could be successful when i say successful you guys to understand each other
0: Mm, yeah you know and then i think another thing that's interesting uh sometimes what i've seen and, and i think about it, i had a another guy on my podcast recently um who he actually uh he got married to a female but he was i don't know how he would he would consider himself on the lgbtq spectrum but he he i think he would say he's somewhere between gay and bisexual
1: mm-hmm. yeah. and
0: so he um Anyhow, he, uh, he'd never disclosed, uh, to his, uh, his wife that, that that's was his sexuality. And of course it manifested itself in probably some pretty unhealthy ways when they were married. And then when I'm talking to him on the podcast, he was like, he was like, well, um, yeah. And so she wanted to know everything. So I said everything. And then she left me like two days later, like it was a bad thing. And I was kind of like, well. If you, you know, you didn't, if you didn't tell, like, if you would have told her, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm attracted to men prior to getting married, would you think it would have gone better when that happened? Or do you think you wouldn't have gotten married at all? He said, Oh, she wouldn't have married me at all. And I was like, well, then that's your answer, right? That was a deal breaker for her. So, so do you see that sometimes in, in your clinical practice where you, uh, you have two people who maybe they got married uh, pretty quickly or something like that and uh, and one person wasn't super honest about what they what they were really dealing with or who they really were what their likes were do you see some of that
1: i always experience a lot of situations similar to that mm-hmm. um but at the end of the day when i talk to my clients it's always about did you ask about this person's need when you come when you start talking about sexuality did mm-hmm. you explain that mm-hmm. and most of the time like i said in in a lot of situations is communication. Mm. If you never ask, you no one seems to gonna just voluntarily give you that information. Sure. So and if and it it's almost like assumption, because mm-hmm. you know, you don't see the person with a male you mm-hmm. are in the relationship but you don't see that person with the male like they're not showing attractive tendencies in front of you because you guys are together so sure. if it's a surprise for someone it's because it wasn't displayed either
0: yeah
1: and 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 there is situations that is not displayed at the beginning it's yeah. after five or seven years Or 10 years in a marriage that you decide you want to change your sexual orientation and you want to just, you know, you feel yourself attractive to males or attractive to females. Sure. And, and, you know, male versus female, both ways, you know, or I mean, it's like that. It could be that way, too. It's not necessary at the beginning. And I think sometime when I realize with some clients, it's almost like trying something different. After mm-hmm. being in a relationship for 15 years, now I want to try something different. Now, sure. can we say that that's bisexual? Or can we just say that now you want to try something different? It's an experience. Sure. So you're like experimenting because yeah. you have some people that maybe if a, a, you have a Black couple, I'm, I'm okay with being with a Black person. Ten years later, you want a Hispanic person. Mm. You might That's different still. Yeah. It doesn't always have to be a same gender, but that's still different. And it also could be experimenting. See, yeah. that's another thing what people misunderstand because not every time a person is, you know, it's bisexual. Oh, that's my preference now that I tried that. That doesn't always mean that they prefer that. There's a difference. Sometimes yeah. it's experimenting and trying it and say, well, you know, I tried it. You know, I'm okay with that, but I'd rather this, this, it's because you tried it. So I do have a lot of clients that like to try things and mention about it. And, and some of them are trying to still, or they struggle with that identity in that area.
0: Yeah. So when that, when you have that, um, and it's just so funny, you know, to think about, you know, twenty years ago, this would have not have. It would have never crossed your mind that this was going to be something that's that's an issue that you got to consider when you're getting into a relationship. But, um, so when you're dealing with these cultural differences or these sexuality differences or things of that nature, what what would you say is um, like if you were to give us some recommendations on how to navigate that? What what do you see in these cross cultural couples? Uh, that, that helps them be, be in a successful relationship.
1: And, and it's always going to be communication Yeah, because if you don't have it, you're not going to be successful. Uh If you, a lot of people, they get together in relationships. It's always, I like what you like. Oh, I can do that. It's yes, yes, yes. But it's really not. Yes, yes, yes. How long is yes, yes. Going to going to last? Yeah. I mean, it's it's gonna last what after the year is done? Some sure. people are like six months, and now I want to be real. And you know what real is? It's I want to be who I am. Right. So if you're gonna if you're going to be that person, you're gonna put a show on at the beginning. Then you might as well say forget the show and start asking questions at the beginning. Sure. And I think I see that more in older couples hmm. versus younger couples. And younger couples, they're not going to ask you, right. they, they, they're just going to go with the flow. They're not, they don't have a, a lot of communications to asking what's important to you right. and what's important to you. And what is this? I mean, like if you have to go back and say, okay, was this an issue back in the days? It was an issue. It really was. It's just, people weren't talking about it. Sure. I mean, you had misgrace. It was an issue. Yeah. No one talked about it. For it sure. was just there. Yeah. And 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 it was like they just didn't have the conversations now because the world is what it is now that people are feeling mental illness is like really high because they are keeping things in and, and they're feeling like depressed because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. And so now it's it's just... It's coming out as an explosive instead of coming out as, look, I'm 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 bisexual or I like another race and I want to marry this person. You know, it's it's Hmm. coming out differently now.
0: When you when you see some, sorry to interrupt, but when you Mm -hmm. see somebody who's like in a mixed race couple, do you find that like. Like, for example, I've, I know of a couple, um, in my, in my lifetime, I've, I've been friends with, uh, a few couples that were mixed race. Um, and it always seemed like the people, who, it seemed like the people who had the problems was like one of the people's couples, parents, or like a, a sibling, you yes. know, what I mean? like if it was a white man, a white guy and a black girl, like the the black girl's father had a problem with it or like you know um or like if it was you know um you you know there i even remember one when i was on my mission for my church in indiana where he was talking about how um you know for some reason that they didn't they the the parents were like i think he was going to marry an asian girl and in the parents were like, well, the the baby's not going to look like us, you know, and it was just kind of like one of those things. And it seemed like it was coming from like outside. Is that kind of what you see too?
1: Yeah. A lot of situation is, is the family too, but if you want it, it's a blended family. I mean, you want to bring the family together, then you, you value their opinions, but then there's situations that there is people that just like love me or not, but this is who I am and this is who I'm going to be with. And sometimes it's like that, too. But it is a situation. And I think when you and I remember having certain people that when you have a, a race like for a man who's black and they see a black woman with a white man, I think for them and as a father, and this is this does come up, they're looking at how slavery is. And how the black man always had a disadvantage and they're not looking at the fact that it's not like that now in this situation I mean they might say things are very similar yes but this is your child daughter being with this man and he didn't do that to her and she's not his slave this is a person he wants to marry but see that's when you have the problem is when older maybe older black men or cannot get over the fact that there was a mistreated treatment years ago and they bring it into these these two people's relationship now that's Mm -hmm. the problem there But Mm -hmm. if, like I said, it's a modern situation now that I've seen couples, if you want to be a part of our family, you have to accept the person I love. And I see that now. And I I, uh, provide psychotherapy to a lot of family members, too, because what it is, is even though they are conditioned, because this is what it is, it's conditioned Mm -hmm. and they need help to try to change their thinking patterns
0: Mm. and
1: it's not easy it's not easy just to say hey i'm not gonna be that way when that was towards part of your upbringing i mean you've seen the worst probably there are some people and i never have even experienced there's some people that seen his colors and and his white you can't you can't not you cannot eat from there or go there, or you have to go in the back. There's people still that remember this. So Mm -hmm. to me, you, it's hard for the change that out of that person, but it's still doable because some of those people, they seek therapy. So they're able to try to change it. It's like having a habit. It's Mm -hmm. not easy to stop smoking. Just like it's not easy when you've been up your upbringing and you had some conditions that you know was something that you you wasn't able to do, and then you see this. Mm-hmm. It's hard for you to take that, but it's doable. And those are the people that's in my chair who wants to change it and accept it. Because here's the outcome of it: either you do, mm-hmm. or you're gonna lose the child who is an adult. Yeah. Which which one is important? And that's how I say: which one is important? The love for the child who's an adult now to say, we don't want to be a part of you. And even if we have children biracial, we don't want them to be a part of you because you're still setting your ways. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, it takes time, but it comes together. And as and, and long as the family is trying, it, it, it can work. And don't get me wrong. There are some that it may not work.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah.
1: it is what it is, and these two people will have to just move on.
0: Yeah. Now, I well, now I understand you have a a uh, a talk show, yes. the uh, Doctor Malika Clary Show, right? Is that what it's called? Yes. And yes. And this, um, it's about uh, bettering a quality of life through positive psychology. What's positive psychology?
1: Well, it's all different. I mean, you know, we have so much so many negatives when you talk to people and if i talk to you about something i want to do and if if a word come out of your mouth and say um you shouldn't do that it's going to take you too long well that's not positive to me mm-hmm. you know um more or less is positive is that you know you could do anything you want to do
0: mm-hmm.
1: now how long is that i mean and when I say positive, I mean just as simple as that. I think we have so much negative in this world, negativity, that we forgot to be kind to each other. We well, forgot to uplift each other because we're so busy taking each other down. It's, uh, it's, it's so bad that you can't tell. Even though you don't, a friend, you can't sit up there and say, I have a dream. I want to be this. Well, I don't. Well, I don't think so. You're too short for that. There's no constructive criticism, but there's no positive in there either. Sure. And then, so it's always negative. And I think the reason why we are in this position now that we're having such a big thing in mental illness and depression and anxiety is because we keep on hearing negative. No one know how to uplift each other. You know what? If you don't, it's this saying, I always get these metaphors wrong, but I hope I get it right now. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's yeah. probably be the best thing to do yeah. because everyone, and I mean, not everyone, but a lot of people, they have something to say about somebody else trying to do something. And, and sometimes it's because they may have a dream and you don't have enough confidence that you can even do that. So you stop in somebody else to do it. True. And that make you feel good. It's almost like with that other metaphor, misery likes company. yeah, and, That's what I see what's happening now. And I I might have to say this. It is not just your friends. It's your family. Could be your mom. Could you be your dad. Where you know that these are the most biggest people in your life. And they're tearing you down. Saying you shouldn't even do this. And then you're miserable. Because if somebody else said something. And you took it with you. I mean you took it. And you kept going with it. And you didn't let it go. Yeah. And, and, and so positive is coming in the circle and have something uplifting to do, to say, and I like to try to say, yes, you can, if you don't want to, it's your choice. And I, I don't like the words fail. People say, oh, I failed to, I did, not I failed. No, mm. there's another word. Maybe you changed your mind.
0: Sure. Sure.
1: You, I mean, you doesn't, it's not necessarily a failure. You could change your mind. I know a lot of lawyers and doctors and musicians and actors and actresses, filmmakers and directors and switch. I mean, yep. I have a movie that I have I'm going to say 161 people in the movie. And mm-hmm. there's some doctors and lawyers that's in the movie. Mm-hmm. And they're acting. And yep. some of them are acting as a lawyer. But, you know, you just you're thinking about it like, hey, this is you, you could change things, and you know, so like I said, I really want people to have positive and you know, know what positivity is. Yeah. I think when you're around people and we talk so negatively, we forget even how to talk positively.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting you bring that up. You know, I, I was just mentioning to you, I had Tiffany Rothman on, uh. Uh, my last podcast. And it was so funny because here, this woman, it just, it, it it actually was a big lesson to me on what you're saying. I I call it positive mindset. You call it positive psychology. It's the same thing, but like, Mm -hmm. but she, she comes from South Vietnam. Her dad is the last minister of defense in Southern Vietnam before Northern Vietnam took it over, which started the Vietnam war. He gets put in jail three times sent to a, a concentration camp so he sends her and her mom over to america she doesn't speak english she has a learning disability she comes over here at 12 years old and it was just instilled in her that she has to get an education so what does she do she goes and gets a psych i think she calls it a psych d it's like a phd in psychology or something of that nature yeah. and then she gets an mba And when I ask her, I ask her about it, I asked her, I said, what do you think is your biggest failure? And she's like, oh, I think my academics. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, my, it just takes me a long time to learn, learn some, learn these things. Yeah. But but then she, I was like, well, how did you, how did you accomplish these things in, in academia? And she's like, well, I, I had to. Right. And and it was like, you know, it I it was so interesting to me that mindset of I have to do it. Because I was sitting there thinking to myself, as like, you know, if this woman came over here and never got a degree in anything, you know, just worked some menial job, you know, did those things, nobody would think anything different. Because it's like, well, what is she expect? What was she expected to do? She's got a learning disability, she doesn't speak English, all these things. But because in her mindset it's something she had to do, there was no there was no alternative. <clears throat> She accomplished amazing things, considering, right? And and it just goes to show, like, maybe that's not necessarily a positive mindset, per se. But it's so interesting to me how if you believe you can do it, how much you can do. I mean, I, I don't know. How, you probably have seen these people who are just everything is negative. You know, they're just always negative. They don't believe anything. You ask them, I'm like, Oh, well, why don't you do this? Oh, well, you know, I've only got one. My wife and I only have one car. Well, why don't you take a bus? Oh, the bus. I, I can't take the bus. You know? Oh, I can't, you know, I've got this kid. I've got, you know, this thing. Well, you know, I have an ADD. So that, that makes it hard to, And all these things. And it's like, you've already, you've already lost, you know, you've already lost before you even try. How do you switch that? Well,
1: who who is in your social roundings to to uh, help you think like that that Mm -hmm. could be a start because like i said it's always someone else is Mm -hmm. pushing it and when you said about the 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 individual that you're talking about you know she had to do it it wasn't what she wanted to do Mm -hmm. even though she completed that those two those degrees It's what she had to do. So if you had to do it because somebody else is telling you, you got to do it, Mm. then it's not something you want to do. It's something you did Mm. because you had to do it in those eyes. Mm. She probably could have did something else that if she wanted to do it, then she would have identified it as something else of something I want to do. So that's
0: that's another thing about her that I thought was really interesting, too, was that so she retired, she was a school psychologist for 25 years and retired. And now she's pursuing an acting career. And I found that so fascinating. And I want to talk to you about this too, because you know, you, you're a, you're a jack of all trades. I mean, you've done, you're doing psychology, you're doing a talk show on psychology. You you've done some work in the, in the judicial system. You're a human rights activist Yes. and you act. And I was so impressed because this other woman, I, when I met with her, with Tiffany Rothman, she was like, It was She's middle-aged when she started. I mean, she had done some classes and she had done some theater, but really full-time acting. uh, And she's doing great. And it sounds like you have a very similar path. Am I right?
1: Um, Yes, but I started at 13. But I got back out of it. Like, I probably left... mm, I might have been 17, 18. I left the industry, 18, 19, something like that.
0: Okay. And then you came back later.
1: Yes. And probably uh, 2016, I want to say. OK. So.
0: OK. So tell me, well, the, that that in the entertainment industry, and I know that in your talk show, you talk about navigating the at the industry. So you were essentially a child actor and then now now not. What the difference? Well,
1: what happened to me is that when I was in, I want to say, was it middle school? was it middle school? Yeah, I think middle school. Um, I uh, auditioned for a play, but I actually was a cheerleader and I used to dance. I love dance. So I danced. I used to be a uh, a choreographer as well. So, Mm -hmm. but I cheerlead and then I played, I think I I auditioned for a play at Harriet Tubman and -hmm. my director thought I was amazing. And mm-hmm. I end up doing very well. And she recommended me to go to some type of drama. It was like a drama course or something. And um, I went and I liked it. And I was like, oh, maybe, you know I should do something like this. It wasn't nothing I went to school for or anything like that. I just went, did audition for recommendation of my director in the elementary. Yeah, it was middle school. And, and from there, I just would go to New York cause I'm from Boston. And um, I would just go audition in New York or any auditions in uh, Boston. And I'll just do like modeling or something like, cause I model too and do fashion shows and do like independent gigs or anything that I can get at that time. Mind you, I'm in my teens. So sure. I'm just trying to do whatever, but I believe I might've stopped like the early twenties and I say mm-hmm. maybe 22. And the reason why I stopped is because, even though I did shows, I used to do radio. I did a lot of things in my tea. They had some type of broadcast of students, and I did that. I mean, I did a lot of things even for a short amount of time. But what would happen when I had this other talk show, it was called Fat Video Vibe or Dialogue. I didn't like the fact that because of my looks and and, you know, being a female, too, um, at that time, I'm I'm only speaking for myself because I am a female. Because it can happen to males too, as we know, because things are coming out now. But I was more taking advantage. So it's mm-hmm. like if you want to do this, you'll do this. And mm-hmm. I didn't want to sell my soul, so mm-hmm. I left the industry. I mean, it was happening too often. Either they, I would, they would take photos of me. I would get the, you know, the person who's doing the camera work will come on to me in different ways and want me to be more expressive. And I was just like, I'm expressive enough. I don't need you, you know, doing this and doing that. And it was just, it was to a degree it was happening too often that mm-hmm. I didn't like it. And I was just like, you know, if this is what it takes to do this, I don't want to do this. I don't feel like I have to sleep with somebody. Don't get me wrong. There's some people that is, is attracted to your director or your, the producer. You know, the actress could be um, attracted to the manager. But this wasn't the case. I wasn't attracted to it. This was just really you get me ahead of the game here and helping yeah. me along. And I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to get it that way. And mm. it's just something that just kept coming in. So I stopped. And wow. then... um
0: now, was that real quick before you go into the next part of that? Let me ask you, was that happening the whole time, or did you see that happening more as you kind of came of age in your eight, 16, 17, 18? Or um, was it the very beginning?
1: It it was it was always there. Wow. I it it was just got worse. Yeah. It just got worse. And and you know, as I was developing, it just got worse. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? Now you've came back as of 2016. Uh, and I don't remember exactly when the Me Too movement started, but that was right around, I think, the time, right? Uh, how's the industry changed or has it?
1: Well, I think people are coming out more so and yeah. and people are speaking up for themselves. But right. I didn't come back because of that. I was never really going to come back to the entertainment industry. I mm-hmm. loved it, and I did you know, and I really did. I, when I um talk about the entertainment industry and I taught college students, I will always incorporate like role play mm. into my teaching and all my students, they really didn't know I was an actress before. And they always say, oh, you should be actress when I kind of like, mm, yeah, I did that. Like, oh, I am, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they loved it. I always had a full attendance. So that because I brought life, like just role play on things that they want to do with their project, you know. And so it kind of made me miss it. But that's not the reason why I went back. I went back and I have to say because you know you're an attorney and it was about um and I'm a Human Rights activist. Mm-hmm. So I was married to an attorney. I got divorced and mm-hmm. it didn't go well, you know, but I live in Indiana now, in Carmel, Indiana, Hamilton County.
0: Oh, I'm very familiar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I served. I served my mission for my church in Indiana.
1: Oh, you mission, did. Which church? Mission
0: home is in Carmel. I'm the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints Mormon.
1: Oh, okay. All
0: yeah. Right. So, so actually, one of my best friends, the mission home is in Carmel, and one of my best friends in the world, he lives. He lives in Carmel. And so Oh, he does. For no. me, I served. Uh, I was in. Uh, I was in Indianapolis for a while, right over by like 56th Street, kind of. The yeah, I know road. where
1: that is. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and then. Uh, I spent some time down south in Columbus, um, and then up up north to Huntington, which is about thirty minutes south of Fort Wayne, and then the last part in South Bend. So okay, it was all over means- the place. Yeah, yeah, I went over the whole state, so I'm very familiar with Carmel. Anyway, that's interesting. So you live in Carmel?
1: Yes, Carmel, Indiana. And um, long story, and it, it's 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 based on the movie. Okay, mm-hmm. and I'm. What happened to me is I got married. It, marriage just didn't work. I mean, we both wanted to go whatever way, but unfortunately he, he was very emotional more so that he wanted to use it against me. And I, because I'm not a local to this state, you know, and he's a lawyer, he has friends who's judges and lawyers. So I got mixed up with the good old boy network. And in mm-hmm. Hamilton County, you have elected officials there. So they pretty much do whatever they want to do mm-hmm. Oh, speak up but there's a lot of people that didn't want to speak up because they intimidated. Mm -hmm. I'm from Massachusetts and to be honest with you, I've seen a lot of things in Massachusetts that I feel like I could speak up anywhere. I don't care where I'm at. And Mm -hmm. I just, what they did, I already seen stuff in Boston. So I'm not Mm -hmm. fearful of that. So Mm -hmm. I spoke up on some things, but when you do that, you have to be ready for the punches that's coming next Hmm. so my divorce went like the good old boy everything was going his way everything they did so long story i had to get rid of a lot of judges you know removed them filed motions 53a i think or 51a something like that you know to remove a lazy judge motions um Hmm. you know and people just didn't do that here they didn't do that they were scared to even a lawyer was like "Nah, you don't want to do that no i i don't care well you know what I like that you represent me, but you can get off and I'll do pro se and then I'll do it. I mean, because I, you know, I didn't want to hurt anybody else's reputation because they work here. I feel like what you gonna do to me? I I but yes, so they did a lot of things, but one thing they did, and I'm Christian, so I believe in God, and I don't do not believe that if a child is wanna be baptized that that is looked as a heinous thing in Mm. 2016. I want to say me and my ex-husband and myself, we never had it in our decree that we could not baptize our child.
0: First Mm. of all,
1: you can influence a child to be baptized or influence them to go with other religion, but you still can't choose their religion. Why? Because they still a human being. They have a right as a person to pick their own. That's all we could do. But my children, I have three, I only have one by my ex-husband. And he wanted to be baptized because we go to Northview Church. He wanted to be baptized. They was doing an open baptism. And my other daughter jumped up and my son and said, I want to go. And I was like, you know, I always have Bible. Like I always, we always go to church. We always talk about Bible. You know, we always do stuff. So I'm not surprised that he wanted to do it. And I was okay with it. Go ahead. And he did. Now, he might have just wanted to get dipped in the water, right. but still, he did it, and it was great. Now, my mm-hmm. other daughter didn't do it yet because I have three, but she did it the week after. She had to think about it, <laughs> but still, that's, mm-hmm. that's okay. I don't force no one to do anything, but here's the thing. He did it, and then that was like two years later. My mm-hmm. ex-husband throws this in for a cheap shot and Say, said, oh, she got my son baptized without asking. I didn't have to ask nobody because Mm -hmm. in our decree, we don't need to ask. That's not something we had to ask. True. But they did some trick or treating in the court system. They did a lot of bad things to me and I was gonna go to jail in 2016. Oh wow. Because I allowed my son to be baptized. I was going to jail for 24 hours. I had to report (laughs) on Friday to go to jail. It just just a bunch. That's one thing they put, but that's a bunch of stuff that did not make sense. So anyway, after that, I had protest. I, I I I got on my knees. I just remember getting on my knees and asking them, I don't know what to do. I don't I this is weird to me. Why would you do this? But they just want to hurt me. My ex-husband's emotional because of the divorce. They are they have been did it, they are, they have some other angry. Issues towards me because I fight back. I take the law says if you don't believe about a decision, you can appeal. You have a right to do that. I take all my options and I do it. I appeal if it's overturned and you got to go, you got to go. If it's a motion and you don't answer in 30 days or 31, whatever, 45 days, you got to go. I have a right of those, those remedies are there for the civilians like myself. I didn't do anything wrong, but did what I had to do. So what I did is that, and then boom, I protest by myself for a day and then other people I knew started protesting with me. And the judge that did that, I filed a tort claim against him too. Now Hmm. I know he had immunity, but I didn't really care. I fought because there's some things he did that wasn't appropriate either, what he said to me. And it was some racial issues that he also said and some things that just discrimination and all these things that he said. Well, he recruits himself the second day that I protest. And Hmm. then um, I didn't go to jail because I got rid of that judge or I removed him and got a special judge. And that situation was moot. Nobody even did anything. So the special judge said, Well, I would never put somebody in jail for that. That didn't even happen. So it ended up being moot. I never went to jail. But I ended up in Hamilton County, probably remove about, I don't know, four or five, six judges. I actually got a change of venue, which is very hard to get out of that county because it was so much bias and everything. And then, um, yeah. It's not terrible. It is. And I made a movie about it.
0: Yeah, so tell me what the movie's called.
1: Three Corners of Deception.
0: Ah, that's the one. Okay, and yes, uh, it is. And so you made that movie, and is that the one that you said there was uh, over a hundred people in it with you?
1: One hundred sixty-one people.
0: Wow, yes. you had doctors and lawyers in that movie.
1: Doctors and lawyers, and actors and actresses, and engineers, so, to down the servers. <laughs>
0: so, so three, three corners of deception. Um, that it was a basically kind of a uh, based on this, your story of your divorce.
1: It was based on it. Yes, it, it, it had the divorce and I want to say drama romance mm-hmm. because it didn't always it wasn't always like that. So you have to take it to how it actually happened. It was a lot of deception in the movie and and the situation, it was very deceptive. So mm-hmm. I didn't really camouflage how it really was. But as you know, the movie was two hours and 19 minutes, but you can't explain something that at that time probably was 10 years in. So there's no way you could do it in a two and a half hour
0: Uh, movie.
1: It's just not.
0: It's interesting what you, it's interesting what you brought up about racial bias in Indiana, because I didn't realize um, until I, you know, I'm, I'm from California, so I didn't realize really how different it was. In indiana that's the i mean the in, i believe if i'm not mistaken indiana is the birthplace of the ku klux Klan. You yes know? i
1: i didn't know that either <laughs> I <did laughs> yeah.
0: know that. And, and i didn't really see how serious it was until i went to south bend because when i was there this is in 2001 that i um i moved to south bend i was there for about seven months and when you get up there um first of all it was like the dead of winter and I remember going, I remember I remember when I was transferred up there. I remember going to the place where I was going to transfer and or, you'd go to the place where I met up with the guy I was going to transfer in with and they were like, I don't know who you made angry to have to go up to South Bend in the in the dead of winter, but you're going to be cold and it was. But I, it was interesting to because everything kind of north of Notre Dame is very like rich, white, catholic. You know, and then everything south is kind of like urban projects, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's yeah. very segregated. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'd never really seen anything like that. You know, out here in California, like you know, it, it's hard sometimes for people here in California to really like we you'll hear people talk about racism out here and things like mm-hmm. that, microaggressions yeah. and things like that. But it wasn't until i got out there where i saw some like real hardcore racism you know what i mean i mean Mm -hmm. like like where you'll see people actually say no question racist stuff you know what i mean like no no way you could say like oh they didn't really mean that you know what i mean like that wasn't really what they meant no it was dead on and it was kind of shocking You know, I mean, it's really so I got to imagine that some of that does probably feed into the judicial system. And you may appreciate this as a human rights activist, you know, had this conversation with with people. It's so hard for some people to realize this. But, you know, I remember having a conversation with somebody about the you know, you've heard the term systemic racism. And it's so funny to to talk about that because you. You know, people think like you, you I've heard some people whenever I have this argument with people and these are intelligent people they'll say well show me a racist law and they don't understand that that is just one of the three branches of government you know when you say mm-hmm. like where's the racist law well sure maybe congress didn't pass a law that said a certain race isn't allowed the same opportunities or the, they get harsher sentencing than a different race mm-hmm. but the thing is is there's the con there's a Congress, which is the one that creates the law. And then there's the, you know, there's the executive branch of the judicial branch, which enforce the law and interpret the law. And the police are part of the executive branch and the judges are part of the judicial branch. So if the police are are uh disproportionately arresting a certain race or pulling them over or charging them for crimes that they're not charging another race for, and then Judges are sentencing more harshly a certain race over another one for the same crimes. Yeah. Then, even if the law is not on its face racist, those are still parts of the system that is systemic. And mm-hmm. and it's uh, but it's interesting to hear that there be people out there who don't understand that. Now, as a human rights activist, what are the what are the, uh, the kind of where's your focus lie in human rights? Like, is there some specific, uh, you common? know,
1: it's mainly what I know of the law and what people are going through. And it could be divorce. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, um, labor law. It could mm-hmm. be it could be any housing. It could be anything. If I have the knowledge, I'm going to help. Hmm. and that's basically what it is
0: so are you working with a specific um like group or is this just something you do freelance on your own yeah
1: this is something that i i have a very a lot of people that i know like people reach out you know they're reaching out to me all the time and mm-hmm. it's from different areas mm-hmm. and um so i have a good network so if i don't know something i'll go ahead and you know go and type in figure who I know that might know more and start asking for the person that's asking. And I would give them, now if I know some constitutional rights or, you know, you can do this, you know, it might be something about uh, landlord or something, you know, you know, and they might not know their rights. Like, no, they have to go to court. They have to give you 14 days. They have to do this, and then, and you know, that's another advocate way that I can help people because they don't know their rights. Or if it's contracts and you know the limit law, or if you bought a vehicle and you pay a certain amount of money, they may not know about the limit law. Not every state honors it, but there's some, a lot of states that do, you know, if you pay over a thousand dollars, you know, stuff like that. Or, I mean, it could be anything, anything that I know. And if I don't know, I'll research it. And if it's into entertainment or what you're supposed to get, you know, for a contract or if it's, it's anything or working related or if it's compensation or something, or even if it's, um, workman's comp or something that happened, you know, some people think that, oh, they got this doctor. I should go to theirs because they're saying it. No, you also could go to yours as well. You know, yeah. there's things people just don't know. And sure. so I help in a lot of situations in every area, whatever I can. You know, sure. like I said, if it's not something I I don't know, then I go research it and see who I know that they you may know. know.
0: It's funny what you bring up about people not knowing their rights. I was really surprised... I did an internship at a DA's office. I thought when I was in law school that I was going to, I was going to be a prosecutor. That was what I thought I wanted to do. I I really just wanted to do trial work. I knew I wanted to be in trial. And so, and I just knew they did a ton of trials and I thought, put bad guys in jail. That's a win-win. But what I found so interesting was, I don't know how many times we would get like a, you know, a um, a report, you know, a police report on, on an incident where a guy had drugs in his car or illegal guns in his car or something illegal going on in his car. And the cops pulled him over for a traffic stop. And the cops like, can I search your car? And they're like, oh, yeah. And then they find all this stuff. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, OK, you know, you got this stuff in your car. <laughs> Why are you letting them? look through your car or for example, like a lot of people don't know this. Even if the police want to search your car because they are, you know, they can use this whole reasonable, reasonable suspicion of a gun or something of that nature. Probable to, cause. Probable cause for it to mm-hmm. think you have a gun. That doesn't mean they get to search the trunk. You know what I mean? And it's like, they need a search warrant. Yeah. And so you sit there and and, and, and so I, there were so many times where I would be like, I'd ask the defense attorney. I'd be like, why did the guy let the cops check the car? And I was
1: intimidated. That's why.
0: Yeah, and they just, I didn't know I could say no, right? And I was just like, no. man, you know what I mean? Uh, but it, you
1: see a lot of this, those situations occur. I mean, look what happens. I mean, you really think people are going to be easy to say yes? I mean, no? When you, you're you seeing something that's on social media that uh you know average civilians is getting beat up and killed i mean it's scary i mean it is scary so i don't know if i'm more lucklin to say say no because i don't know what this i don't know what people are doing and even to be on law enforcement i don't know their mindset i don't know if no is like okay well, we're getting in here now. Now you res- resist and you don't know. So I don't know if he did, if, you know, no wasn't the best answer, even though he had all that stuff, but I don't know if yes would have been, no, you can't do that. And yes, I know my rights, but couldn't he just detain him right there and say, okay, well, we're going to go to search warrant. There might be some 24 hour judges available and, they can get one easy still because they are have those video ones that the judge could get a sign off on a search warrant. And I believe it, it you don't it, it don't have to be that long. Yeah. They could get one. I mean, it's just how quick they can get it. But I'm also certain they can get one.
0: But yeah, it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting dichotomy. Uh, the whole the whole system is so interesting. And, and look, there are. I'm, I'm not anti-police by any means. I, I do believe the police are important and mm-hmm. I serve yes. an important right. I've, uh, uh, I've, I've utilized their services, <laughs> Yes. but it's, but it's interesting when, uh, you know, um, you hear, you know, I'm, I remember hearing at the DA's office one time, a cop saying something along the lines of, if you suspect somebody of doing something, you know, just, just follow them in the, you know, follow them in the car for a little while Eventually, they'll do something that you can pull them over for. And I just go, man, you know, like that mindset is pretty scary, right? Um, Just uh, it's an interesting situation. And so so when when you're uh intimidating, that's
1: what it is. When you have a cop in back of you and you're like, oh, my goodness, some people are intimidated to fat and not always the fact that they're doing something. Just just like, why is he in back there? I mean, I used to have racial profiling all the time. I always been racial profiled, always in Boston, and even when I came here, I did. And um, I think, and it's weird because.
0: Can you well, real quick before you go on? Can you explain what you mean by you are racially profiled? Like you mean like it's they, the type
1: of car you have, and they are oh. like looking at that shouldn't be you in the car. Oh, and I it, see. Yes, you. so they never know, and it always seems to be like a big car or a very luxurious car and and they would think that either a male or somebody who selling drugs or why, what are you doing to have this type of car? I've been asked some really interesting things and yeah. I've been stopped for really crazy that you don't even, you wouldn't even think it's like, why did you stop me? There's yeah. other ways to do that. I mean, I think I, and, and I think this one is a little funny, but it is, it is not. I have to say, here in Indiana, I did get stopped one time. Well, I got stopped probably a couple of times, but it wasn't, it didn't plan into anything, which is great because I talk and I'm like, why? One time I thought it was really interesting. I got stopped because the guy wanted to talk to me, but he flicked his lights on and I'm driving and it's like, well, he stopped the vehicle and I felt like, why is this person flicking their lights? I didn't think you could do that. Flick your lights on. And even if you're trying to talk to someone as a personal, well, Um, that's what he did. And I didn't know that. And I said, listen, I know you are racial profiling me. And this is exactly what I said to him. I know that's what you're doing. (laughs) And he he mimicked me. But he's like, um you know, I'm doing it. And I said, yes, because my car could tell me how many miles I was going. And I have a little camera around here and I know that's what you're doing. I'm from Boston and I know what that's about. <laughs> and I, I think it's funny now because I actually is a good friend of mine, but, but I did not know that's a funny situation, but there's some other situations. It's not that funny for other people, but in yeah. Boston, I did get racial profiled and it. Some of it wasn't. Some of I had to go and take somebody to court and then do the eternal fears on them. And, yeah. you know, got out of it that way with them. Sometimes wow. it's really deep because I've heard, Oh, I, is this your, your man car?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> and this is
1: exactly what the person said. And I'm like, what, why wouldn't it be not my car?
0: Be your car. Yeah. You know, that's, it's interesting. I've I've been in experiences where I I have been in a car that was pulled over with uh, with a group of of black men and then I've been in a car without black men and mm-hmm. it is a very different experience. It's yes. it's interesting, you know, I share this I don't think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I've shared it with a few friends. There was a time where I was driving to uh from California to Wyoming. And so that's about a 12 hour drive. And I was, I started, uh, you know, I started in the mid afternoon, so I wasn't going to get there till about two in the morning. And, uh, so I'm hauling, I mean, I'm hauling in my truck and, you know, I'm going out to Wyoming. I'm a gun owner. I threw some guns in the car. I threw some, you know, bullets in the car, you know, cause wide open spaces out in Wyoming, you could shoot, you know, I have a, I have a California, I have a California legal uh, uh, rifle and, and things like that, that I was going to take out there and shoot uh, and a crossbow. I have like all this stuff in my car and I'm wearing a leather jacket with a shirt that just says, I, I have a wrestling friend. He calls himself the handsome devil and his shirt says devil may grind. It's got a big devil on the front. You know what I mean? And uh, And I don't care cause I'm just driving by myself. Right. For like, for 12 yeah. hours. So I'm not like thinking anything. Well, it's about midnight and I'm in the middle of somewhere in Idaho. And I get pulled over. And I probably, if I'm being honest, I was probably going 75 and a 45. You know, what I mean, I was just trying to get to Wyoming and I pull over I pull over and I'm like, oh man, this is just about the worst situation, <laughs> you know, wow. and uh the the cop comes to the car, and this is what was so interesting was that he comes to the car, and he looks. He's shining his his flashlight in the back. He sees all my guns because I mean I don't have I don't have them in cases or nothing. I mean I just they're just laying on the back, you know, on the back uh, back seat, and I mean bu- boxes of bullets on the floor, a crossbow in the passenger seat next to me, and he's like uh you're going pretty fast and i was like yeah i'm just trying to get to wyoming he's like license and registration the dude lets me reach over my guns and my crossbow oh, my into the into the 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 the, the uh the, the the box you know into the uh glove glove compartment i grab my license and registration i give it to him And uh, he's like, where are you going to Wyoming? And I'm "I'm going to Star Valley. I'm like two hours away, you know, and he goes, okay, let me go run your plates. Comes back in and he's just like, uh, you know, we want you to be safe. Slow down. Uh, I'm not going to cite you. You know, good luck getting to Wyoming and, uh, you know, just slow down. Okay. And he walked away, gave it to me and walked away. And I was sitting there and I just was like, okay, like (laughs) if I, I'm pretty sure if if I were a different race, that would have gone would, yeah. about a thousand times, but worse. You know what I mean? And yeah. and that's what, that's what people don't understand. You yes. know, and that if if those are all the experiences you have with the police, the police are good. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. and they are in that circumstance. I was grateful. Mm-hmm. Great experience. Very nice. Could have cited me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very. I'm very grateful that doesn't happen all the time. And I've I've had an experience where everyone had, you know, like I said, and with it, with some, with some, uh, some black guys from my basketball team, we get pulled over, you know, everyone out of the car, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Searching the car, searching us, you know, for a minor traffic stop. And it's, it's a different experience, you know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's sad. It, you know, but, you know, I always say you have bad cops, good cops, bad lawyers, good lawyers, bad judges, good judges, bad people, good people. And, and I have to say that because I went to school with a lot of police officers, especially in Massachusetts. I think I was the only person that wasn't a police officer on my masters. Cause they, it's like some type of bill that you get like extra money. If you've, you um you know take these courses
0: yeah. and
1: um all of them basically were police officers except me i think at that time I was just a paralegal and oh,
0: and i'll tell you what like i've you know i have uh my family you know i have uh some family with mental health issues and um and uh there have been occasions where that family member that you know cops have had to have been called to handle it uh and they couldn't have been nicer you know what yeah. I mean? As far as like they couldn't yeah. have handled it any better than they did. Some of them, yeah. some of them didn't do, you know, there've been times where they haven't done a good job, but the ones that have there were just a plus, like did great job. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had police, you know, my car get broken into, they come in and they're just as nice as can be, as helpful as can be want to do a good job. I mean, and that's 98% of them, but man, that 2% is causing a lot of problems.
1: It does, yeah. Because they do things that people are like, can't forget. Yeah. you know it's like you you know i mean it, it's terrible yeah and that that that's the really bad thing about the situation when you see stuff like that because you're like all the good cops you get this one person that did so much or three or four and we forget all the good stuff that happened with with cops because i mean there's some people that really want to help people and protect yeah and then you got other officers that do other things and they take their power differently like they want to rule the world i mean they take it to the head you know and it's
0: i think there's also like that i think there's also a portion of this that's that uh, when you're talking about that that um there's kind of a mob mentality and us versus them mentality. And I think it, it doesn't just that's not just with police. I think that's with you see that in religion, you see that in race, yes. you yes. see that in politics, in yes. you'll see that in, in political parties even. Yeah. The problem with the with the cops is that because of that, sometimes you know, you could have one or two bad cops in a 50 cop precinct, but if the 48, 49 others aren't reporting like no and aren't reporting it makes them all bad you know because because you you got to get that person out of there and and i think that's changing from what i've heard from some of my you know i have friends that are cops and and it it does seem like it's getting better at least here in california it sounds like it's getting better um but uh but you know um it's it's a rough deal now uh so to talk to me more about some of the projects you've done in the arts
1: Um, Well, I did the movie Three Corners of Deception. And I've been in other people's movies, just some extra work um, with Oprah, uh, The Residents. What is it? Martin Luther King, I think is a series that's coming out. I was in that. Uh, there's several other things and Aretha Franklin um, series. I've been in that. I mean, I did a lot of extra work some some independent movies that I've been into as well.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, what else? I'm actually currently working on the Boston girls. That's mm-hmm. the movie I, yeah, it's copyright. So I can actually say what it is, but the Boston <laughs> girls is based on true events and it's, it's something originates with me, my upbringing, what I went through, Um, but it also is about, you know, five girls that, you know, from a 10 year old to 17 to about 34 years old and what they had to go through and some different challenges in their life. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and it's something that it registers with me because it's something that I think people don't see all the time. You know, what. These little cycles of things that happen, mm-hmm. and you might see something similar, but this is based on true events. So it's actually something that actually did happen, mm-hmm. and um, I'm just loving. And I did finish. I finished writing the movie, but I'm not gonna film until probably another year or two from now because Three Corners Deception. Hopefully, everything goes well. Publicly, will be out this year because mm-hmm. it did. It was out 2021. I want to say we had it go out for a little bit just to try. It was in about 12 um, theaters in seven states, and that was during the pandemic, so we didn't want to fully release everything until after that. But the calling is calling, so so we're just looking at what TV networks that we actually going to let it go publicly this year, and then everyone could see the movie. That's um,
0: awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. So we're still working with that.
0: Yeah. Now, tell me. I'm I'm fascinated with the process. I mean, you actually, you actually made you created this movie and made it. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yeah. So, t-
0: tell me about. Walk me through that process from conception to putting it on paper to actually getting it made. How does that work?
1: You know, I, I have to say, um, I'm an amateur. because I didn't know what I was doing um not putting the movie together writing yes know how to write but I started writing maybe in 2012 but it wasn't really going to be a movie it -hmm. was just going to be like a memoir or something I was just writing of what I'm going through because everybody kept saying you you should make a movie or a book or something because People would not believe what you're going through with the judicial system and uh-huh. what you're going through. And so it started there. But I really I didn't know what to do. I, I went and put some I don't know. I was looking for camera people to do like a protesting. Uh-huh. And I said, I just want to do like a YouTube or something because I started with YouTubes. Um, I have a YouTube channel and I started talking about what was going on with me and what was happening in the judicial system. And I would go get the CDs because you can always ask for the CDs of the hearing. And I would play them on my YouTube channel and say, hey, you think this is right? Look what happened. You see the lying they're doing and Mm. look what they did. This is not legal, you guys. And it was just being, they banned that because of me now you can't (laughs) do that. Well, they they were doing some really bad stuff to me and Mm. they didn't think it was gonna come to light. But when I was doing that, I started thinking, I don't know. Should I do like a movie or something? And I started, I spoke to um, uh, is Lance Laconi. He's a producer. And I talked to him and he said, maybe you should get back into it. Mm. I don't know if I should get back into acting and stuff. And that's when I didn't really think about getting into it. And then I said, well, let me see. I don't know. People were reaching out and I said, you know what? I'll I'll try something. I went to New York. I did audition, got got the gig, and then I started getting more of the gigs and started doing auditions, and that's what really opened the door for me getting it back into it, and then concentrating on what I was doing, because one thing I didn't like about the industry, you're always at their calling, and I wanted to be empowered, and I didn't want to be you know, somebody that was taking power from me. So I said, you know, I could probably do this movie. And then I spoke to Lance and he was like, we can do, it. let's try to do something. And he's not about, you know, knowing what to do. I had to do all the research. He would just find the funding to try to help.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's
1: what basically he did. And then the manager, which a couple of the, um, uh, managers and executives, and they were helping and doing whatever. And I just said, hey, I just want to act in the movie. So I did everything with hiring um, um, camera people. I mean, I did everything in that way. And it just started coming together. Don't. It wasn't something that I knew what I was doing. It was something that I was just doing mm-hmm. and seeing if it's going to work. Making, writing a movie and then putting it to life you bringing it to life should I say and just getting actors and I knew the story I knew what happened I knew I knew how it should be displayed so it was good to me to audition these people because I knew the characters of those people so Mm -hmm. that was the easy part it wasn't easy just to act in my own movie and be and play myself Because at that time, that's not who I was anymore.
0: Sure,
1: It was 10 years ago at that time. I wasn't at that mindset and those feelings I had to bring. So that was difficult for me to do because people say, oh, you can play yourself. It's not always the case because your mindset was different then. And now you're like, "Okay, so I got to be angry (laughs) and, and broken down because at that time I was very broken mentally mm-hmm. and physically and drawn, you know, just, it was, it was just a, a very dark time for me, I but bet. I mean, enough research and getting to know people and talking and speaking to camera people and speaking, um, you know, about cameras and learning about cameras and asking and getting a, 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 a unity together, it could be done and it was in, in an editor, a cinematography person. I went through three of them and my ride or die person is Will Garth and um he's my DP. I think he just saved me because he's a very patient person when you he um teaches you how to do something and we edited together. I mean this wasn't something that we went in the studio and did. We did this in in my home. And so we just, yeah, we put everything together. Like I said, we we did everything. And then there's people that we outsource and we got to know in California or, you know they would tell me, oh, you should go these people and we'll go for that person because it's an independent movie. So there's a lot of mistakes we made, but could they be fixed? We did the best we could on our very first feature film. And if you read anything or did any research you know there was some critics and one thing I can say, well, some of them critics they say, how can you criticize something that's based on true events? But I'm a critic, and I'm just gonna criticize. But this is a pretty darn good piece for someone who just first made a movie and yeah. did not know.
0: Yeah. So, well, that's the thing, right? Like, there's there are so many people. I what I admire about your story here is is the. know there's a lot of people who well i don't know how to make a movie so i'm not going to do it and you had this idea concept Mm -hmm. for a long time but like sometimes you just got to do it and learn on the fly i'm sure if you made another movie you'd do it a completely different way than you did. yes (laughs) but but absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah but but you did it and now so tell me the process of getting it, you actually, it was played in theaters.
1: Yes. It was okay. in seven, 12 theaters in seven states. I actually did a tour.
0: So, so I
1: actually did, I went to all, all these uh, theaters.
0: So the who set that up and how did you get that all spread <laughs> away?
1: I i did cold calling to everybody. Yes. So I called the theaters and started asking who's the book in person. And mm-hmm. it took a minute. I mean, just one thing. I mean, I'm good in telehealth. I mean, you know, like uh, not telehealth, but telemarketing, I want to say. And um, so I know how to speak to people and try to get to the main person. So I had that experience just in sales. And basically, right. that's what that is. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's still business. You know, mm-hmm. you, you got the money to put the movie in the theater or not. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not like, you know, and at that time we're going through a pandemic. So the movies were being shut down or they weren't making, they weren't getting a lot of people to go to the movies. So I think they were more open, like, okay, you want to put this independent movie, all right, here's the money you got to pay, told the producer, they did whatever and boom, here go the movies in the theaters. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I say as easy as that, but it wasn't as easy just to get to the main person. That I will tell you, it's a challenge because you're not going to call a theater and you're going to get to the main person who actually do the booking. So mm-hmm. that doesn't work like that. So you're going to have to be very persistent and you're going to have to until you get the cell phone, just like any deal. till you get the cell phone of the person and then you're on the calendar. It's a deal.
0: Right. Yeah. Wow. So um, and and when you go. So I assume that what happened was, as you said, you did a tour. Audience came in, watched it. You were there for like a QA type thing. And did you, how did, how did it get received? I, people watched it.
1: I actually did that in Boston. I didn't sit in other, other theaters and did well, minute, let me think. I think New York, I did in New York. Um, mm. It was very positive, very yeah. positive. You know, unless you know what we actually did, I believe as what I was hearing is that this is like any other movie out there. Mm-hmm. Unless mm-hmm. you knew like, okay, that sound, we kind of fuzzled it with this. So you don't hear that noise. Cause we couldn't do nothing about it. We tried, yeah. but yeah. far as that, or it really, I, I didn't really hear, I heard things like, you know, I mean, if you like drama, depends what kind of movie you like, but yeah. it wasn't known, it wasn't negative. And if it was anything that was never like I said, like the critics, they said you can hear something in the audio. But that's if you know what you're looking for. Right. For the average person, you're not really going to know.
0: Right. You're really
1: not. And I've had we sold out in Boston, but I'm from Boston. So right. Right. Um, but like I said, you really wouldn't know. I mean, it's a long movie, two hours and 19 minutes. But one thing, it just kept going. It was, it was a twist to the movie. So if you, you, you can miss something, if you, you need to watch it and, and realize, hey, let me see where this is going. So so, if, go somebody, the plot.
0: so if somebody wants to see this movie, uh, it, where can they find it?
1: Well, if you can follow the page of Three Corners of Deception page, if you follow that page, once it's out publicly, mm-hmm. it will be released there. Or the IMDb Or Mm -hmm. uh, just Google Dr. Malika Clary, or Mm -hmm. I mentioned it on Dr. Malika Clary's show. I'm on 30 platforms with the show itself, so I will be broadcasting wherever. And there'll be commercials. There'll be the whole nine of people will be able to find this movie once it's out publicly, or what network is actually playing it.
0: Awesome. And then you are now you're you're in the uh, making in the process of making the Boston Girls movie, right?
1: Once this is out publicly, then we will figure out how that, but we did finish the script. So, yeah. Awesome.
0: Awesome. So, um tell me if you what is your goal in the uh, entertainment industry? Do you have a specific goal in mind or are you just going with the flow?
1: You know, I do this because I like to show your voice is very important. Mm-hmm. I wanna change something. Any movie or anything I do, it has something to do with social change or impact. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm using my platform for. Mm-hmm. I'm using that for that. It's, I'm not looking into the money because first of all, I, I don't make money doing none of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's not what my goal is, okay? My goal is to change something. If it's something I've been through, or what i'm doing or what you going through in your life and you can get something out of it then i'm helping somebody that's what i'm about and especially dr Malika clary show with the positive psychology and you know that right there because it's not just it's it's not just you know clinical psychology i mean it's not just clinical psychologists on it it will also be lawyers and everybody else actors and what they go through as a person and to explain to people that these are people and they've been through challenges, but they still stayed here in this world. And I want to help people because one thing about what I went through and how I developed this movie, most people would not be able to handle that mentally. Oh yeah. I was at my breaking point several times several yeah. times, but I, like I said, I'm a spiritual person and I had to find my belief system when there's no human flesh that can help you. Cause first they don't even understand what you're going through and yeah. how can they help you? So God has helped me through it. And, and so showing people what I went through and I'm still standing here and I'm still yeah. trying to educate and help people. Don't pull, don't, don't stop. Don't, yeah. don't check out, you yeah. know what I mean? And that's the main thing that I, why I do what I do. So I want people to understand that. Don't, do not give up in that way, you know? And if you feel like that, you can reach out to Dr. Malika Clary because I will try to my best to help you or who can help you or whatever situation. My story is about helping people deal with challenges in their life, either through film in the entertainment industry or by psychology. And that's why I do what I do.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, I think that there's definitely the world needs more of that. You know, I, I know I've, I've had um, challenges in my life that have been pretty significant. And, uh, and I shared this, uh, I've shared this on a few podcasts now, you know, um, don't i don't share publicly some of the issues that that i and my family have had to go through my kids have had to go through which has been it's been rough um but it's simultaneously while some of the worst things that could possibly happen have happened i've had some of the most the greatest successes at the exact same time and that's just simply because I always if some people think it's more complex, it's too it's too simple to say this, it's more complicated, but it's really not. In the morning when you wake up, like for me, um, you know, I go to the gym at five in the morning. I I you know get my kids to school. I go to I go to I go to uh I go to to work as an attorney. I do this podcast, I've done pro wrestling, I do, you know, I've I I do a lot i'm busy all the time uh when that alarm clock goes off at 4, 5, 4. 45 in the morning and i'm about to get up most times i don't want to <laughs> but i just do it's not about how i'm feeling it's not about how if i'm sad or if i'm happy if i'm motivated or not it's just discipline and when you do those things you can when you get up and do the things even when you don't want to, that's the difference between success and failure, you know, is doing it despite what's going on. And I think when you, what's another thing I would say is that uh, I, I, for whatever reason, um, I don't know if I, if this is just God has put this in my path or what, but for whatever reason, I tend to get a phone call when someone's dealing with some of the issues you've mentioned here. You know, they're they're having a crisis, a faith crisis of some sort, or, uh, you know, they're having a problem in their marriage. They're about, you know, they're, they're on the verge of divorce or they're getting divorced or something of that nature. And I, and I, I think I've had some people call me when they're in really rough spots. And I think it's really important for people to remember that uh, you shouldn't forget the serious hole you would leave on this planet and in the people you love if you were to leave you know or if you were to if you were to give up Um, we all benefit when people stay choose to keep moving forward and try to live their life to their best potential and we fall a little bit farther away from a successful world when people stop doing that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm really grateful that you um, have made it your life's work to not seek after the money, which isn't going to help you anyway. Trust me. I've
1: mm-hmm.
0: That's another thing that's really funny. You know, I, I, I shared this. I don't think I shared this on air. I shared this, uh, with somebody recently I always grew up, you know, my, my family, you and I have a very similar background in that, you know, we have, uh, we have some family members who struggled with, uh, addiction and, um, my dad still, uh, I've been very open about he, he struggled and he, he's been sober for years and he's a great guy now. And it just took him a long time to figure it out. But, um, uh, you know, uh, do no, no, I don't even know where I was going with that. (laughs) <laughs> where was I going with that um
1: I think change changes when people have addictions in their in your family and what ups and downs and things that can happen in the family because you have an individual that has an addiction and how it could you know impact the family
0: yeah oh, I know and now I know where I was going with that so mm-hmm. so when I was growing up you know because of my dad's addictions and some of the other things that were going on neither one of my parents, graduated college or anything like that. So money was kind of always an issue. And I remember thinking to myself as I was growing up, okay, so if I just don't do drugs and I make all the money, everything's going to be fine. You know what I mean? Mm And, uh, and, and and I've been a very, I've been financially very blessed. I more so than I ever could have imagined really with the work that I do as an attorney. I, I very happy with what I do. I find a, I find very, um, I find a lot of meaning in what I do mm-hmm. and I get compensated very well. My, my kids live in a way different world than I did, you know, because of mm-hmm. it. Yeah. But what I found so fascinating is for a long time, I've been an attorney now for 11 years and I remember year four or five being like, you know, or year two being like, if I just made X amount of dollars, then I'd be happy. And then I did that. And then I was like, if I just had the big house, then I'd do that. And then I had the big house. And then it's was like, if I just had the nice car, and then I had the nice car, and then I was like, you know, then it got to be ridiculous. It's like if I had a pinball machine, that'd be really cool. You know what I mean? Like, it'd be like I built a theater in my house, a movie theater. I'd be, it'd be cool, and it is fun, by the way. But, but the point is, is that like it was always another thing, and it was cool for a little while. And then it was on to the next thing, but it would never yeah. satisfied.
1: Yeah, yes. And it
0: was, and it wasn't until I realized that I was like, okay, it's not about the things; it's about the experience. Yeah. And, and, and now I, I tend to be like, I want to do things with my kids. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to, I want to go places with my kids and it doesn't even have to be money flying a kite with my kids, taking them out and shooting hoops. Mm-hmm. You know, I go to my local church sometimes and just shoot, shoot baskets with my two boys and they just, they, you know, I have a great time doing that or, you know, going to the movies, something, something real basic like that. You get so much meaning out of that and all these things. So uh, I know a lot of people who think, oh, if I just made the money, you know what I mean?
1: They do. They do. They think like that. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that doesn't it doesn't really I, I'm telling you as someone who has been on the on on the, you know, the lower middle income to, you know, a high wage earner that it, there's no there's not a lot of difference there if you're not having the experience that you want. So I really think it's great that like you seem to get that. Oh, yeah, it. I do. <laughs> and and it's all about serving other people. Yes. So So let me ask you if you if you could spend what would be you do so many different things. <laughs> if you could line out your perfect day, what do you think it would be?
1: You know, actually getting up that's perfect enough. And knowing that all my children got up because I have my children that stay here, but my son, we share, you know, custody going back and forth. So not knowing if he got up this morning. So I do my chat line. I have us, we all do a chat line in the morning or just every day to say, I love you to each other. And so I think that's perfect to me. Whatever's going to happen is I mean, mm-hmm. that's my main thing. I'm a very family person. And, you know, similar to what you said, there's things that I do that, but I I, I am based on that. I mean, that's like a big thing with me, you know, and that's a perfect day to me. It's just to know that they're all right. They woke up. What's going on and during the day? I'm not sure, but we all said, I love you. And that's all you got to take. Because even with my dad, before he died, I think a week before I said, I love you. Not many people get that. And we weren't like raised on, I love you all the time. My dad did say it, you know, but it wasn't like that all the time. Back then, I mean, parents wasn't raising a kids, say, I love you and doing all that. So I changed that dynamics with my family. And some yeah. people are still stuck in those conditions because it just wasn't something was done. So yeah. to me, a perfect day is getting up and being able to say that and knowing I heard, I love you. And every one of us on that chat line, my children said, I love you to each other. And that's perfect to me. Anything yeah. else? I really, it's just whatever happens that day is what happens that day, but that's a perfect day to me.
0: Oh, that's awesome. That's so great. You know, I ask everybody, there's a few questions I ask everybody on a podcast and I want to ask you, the first thing would be, what would you say if you could pick one thing was your, your most, uh, your biggest success in life?
1: Is having all my children and was able to see them, you know, form out like that kind of perfect to me. That was my biggest accomplishment because, you know, it could have went different ways, but they were healthy and they were okay. And, And I I prayed about that. I mean, I didn't do anything for it not to be. But, you know, in life, sometimes when you have children, they're either planned or not planned. But you want children. But sometimes it may not be a a greatest setting, but you do what you did to have the child. So you just hope that they're healthy and they're okay. And I think that's the biggest accomplishment to me is that I actually had three healthy children.
0: No, that's great so you said you're like oh failure you don't like the word failure but i'm gonna ask you what what would you say if i ask the question what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it
1: well i think when i said to you i had a failed marriage Mm -hmm. that to me is not a failure it was a failed marriage because no matter how you look at it it takes two to dance Mm -hmm. and either i acknowledge what i did wrong Not sure, can't speak about what that person did wrong, but it still didn't work. Mm -hmm. So it was a failed marriage. And so I'm not, I mean, that's the only thing that I think that I failed at because I had to have another person help. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: because that other person didn't help to stay, Mm -hmm. then it, it it. basically failed for us yeah. now i cannot say i can it won't fail again when i remarry no mm-hmm. but what i learned from it is that two people no matter how you look at it if you have a religion you guys should seek the same mm-hmm. or at least be open-minded for the other person like if i'm gonna marry somebody my belief system with them they got to be on the same level. You got to believe in God, Jesus. You got to believe in it. You got to yeah. be spiritual. You you got to believe in what I'm believing because yeah. if that's at the beginning, we're going to go different directions. Yeah. We're already, we're already going different directions then. And yeah. and I think that's what's something that, you know, going forward, I got to, I have to make sure that we're on the same system. And if we're not, then we need not to be together we have to be on the same system because we have to be able to seek more than just the human flesh when we can't see each other.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. You know, my parents, so my parents were a mixed religion uh marriage when they got married. So my dad was Jewish, my mom was Mormon. And uh it did create some conflict for a while. My dad eventually did convert. So he's yeah, he's you. a Christian, a Mormon mm-hmm. Christian and so is my mom and and that's what we all were we were all raised that way and i don't ever remember that ever being um like a conflict of whether we should be raised jewish or whether we should be raised mormon i think it was just always that way we were always raised mormon but um but it you know my mom would agree with you even to this point they're still together they've been together over 40 years and Mm -hmm. uh but i think my mom would tell somebody no you want to marry someone with the same faith just because yeah. it, it does create problems now here's the thing that I also find really interesting and something I've learned over the course of my time. you know um, that is not that may not even be enough and let me tell you why you know I, I know a lot of people who they were they they got married young you know Mormons tend to get married young in their 20s, early 20s usually well, if all you have <laughs> at that time, is a physical attraction and a spiritual attraction it's not a guarantee in fact by the numbers it's almost certain that at some point someone may have some sort of crisis in that in that religion right like they maybe they don't want to be that religion anymore well what happens then if you don't have other stuff in common if you don't have other things that you can go on what happens if because listen I, you know, you're in your, you're different. You don't look the same in your in your 40s and 50s that you do in your 20s. So the physical mm-hmm. attraction is going to change. If the religious attraction changes, what else do you have? You know, it's a it's yeah. an interesting it's an interesting dichotomy there to to figure that out. But
1: but see, this right. is the thing about it. What I really mean is that the human flesh, we argue, we tend to argue, we bicker, we fight. Right. We have to sit back. And this is what I mean by failed is that we as human beings together need to take it from us and give it to our faith.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because
1: sure. that's what I mean, because if you if you got a sit, you're having a situation that you're just that's all you're doing you if you have someone that your belief system is stronger than what you're doing then both of you are going to get on your knees and pray together mm-hmm. you're bringing it together and you're releasing it together yeah. because you know it's so difficult for this person to see your values and this person to see your v- views you you just you you you're, you're human but you're not giving it to God, give it to God. So then you guys can not see it and let him fix it for you. That's what I mean. I need that. You know, that's who I'm going to marry because I'm going to argue. You're going to argue. We're going to see things differently. But if we take it from us and we pray about it and get on our knees together, that's what I don't have. That's what I mean. That's like, that's something that you don't get all the time. Yeah, and, and you know what I mean? And that's what I'm saying. Okay. We got, we, got, we we're going to stay together because we took it from us and we both are on our knees praying. God help us both. So yeah. we can see this and give us the strength and we're doing it together. Yeah. That, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, that's, that's, that's huge. Right I
0: can tell you, that's huge. When you, when you're on the same page in your religion, um, it's it's hard to break that it's hard to break that and and the cool thing about the beauty of the christian religion Mm -hmm. uh, whatever christian denomination you are the concept of atonement the concept that that you can make a mistake and through jesus's sacrifice you can be forgiven and not only be forgiven but if there's something you've done that you can't repay that through that atonement it can be healed is a beautiful concept that would help anyone in marriage uh if you have faith in it and so that's that's awesome last question i want to ask you this is a question i ask everybody you're you know someday down the road um you're gonna pass away and there's gonna be a funeral and when you have your funeral there'll be a eulogy what would be the one thing you hope someone would say in your eulogy about you?
1: Oh, she loved helping people. she loved people,
0: yeah,
1: that's one thing about her. She always wanted to change something always yeah. and i and you know it's interesting that you said that because I did speak on about someone, a couple people, and I talked about some of my relatives have died over the years, and I said it's what you leave, it's what people think of you. How you leave it, and if you are mean, negative individual, that's probably going to come out. Yeah, if you're a person who was all selfish and you was money hungry, didn't really care about anybody, that's probably going to come out. Yeah, and I and I had to speak about some individual and I say, Look, you know, this person is this, but we ne- never valued this part of her because. We didn't let her know that part, but yeah. she let us know about this part, about her. That's the expression she left. That's her I mean the impression she So to me, it is about how you live your life here is what will someone say about you. And to me, always willing to help somebody, always will and family was always first to her, always. And she like a life to life. And I know that's what would be told because I started this way before. I mean, I probably started helping people at eight years old when they were being bullied. The girl was cross eyed and somebody used to bully her because she was cross eyed Well, I could look like a bully to the other person because I would jump in and say, you should do that. So I knew where I was going. We're helping other people that wouldn't help themselves or didn't have the confidence to help themselves. And I think I was told by several of my family members, you need to stop doing that. Something's going to happen to you because you always helping somebody. But you know what? That that That's just part of it, you know? I mean, and so I think that's what... Actually, I don't think. I actually know that people will say that about me.
0: So, Good. Well that's awesome. Well Dr. Malika Clary, it's been a pleasure to talk to you. It's been amazing and um I definitely where where can we find your talk show?
1: Oh, Dr. Malika Clary's show on the Bold and Brave TV network. I'm on Spotify, Apple, I think it's podcast, Apple Podcasts, yep. um iHeart, um Amazon Fire. Um, you could just Google me. I'm on 30 platforms, international, uh, around the world, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. er, I mean, or go to my website, drmalikaclary, um, .com or just Wikipedia me. I mean, it's, it's there. Yeah. It's, it's all over there.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to when, um, three degrees of uh, deception is that was called three degrees. Uh,
1: three corners of
0: three corners, <laughs> three corners of
1: deception. It's all good. Of, <laughs> uh,
0: when three corners of deception comes out, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Thank and you. Uh, um, when you get your, um, when you get Boston girls ready to go, you know, let's have you back. Let's talk about it. Let's get it ready oh, we'll, yes. we'll, we'll it for you. I, I'd love to hear follow your work and see how it goes. And, I'm gonna definitely be uh, watching the Dr. Lea Clary show, and and uh, I love all the all the positive mindset stuff. It's so important, Thank it really you. is. And so I'm I'm glad you're doing that work. Uh, this is the part where I tell everybody if you've made it this far into my into the the episode, subscribe. Uh, we got a lot of cool things coming up. Um, you know, uh, we we've got we've got a lot of people set that are going to be really interesting. Um, So keep following. And and Dr. Malika Clary, I really appreciate you being a part of the process. So thank you. you. All right. Well, We'll talk to you later.
1: All right.